Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. A happy new year to all of you. Uh, we're launching into our 2019 series of internet radio show podcasts. And uh, do you realize, Rabbit, that this is our 16th year of broadcast? It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, yeah, one of the most exciting things that's going on right now, aside from this program, of course, is we have our our, our web angel is working hard yes. on, a, on a totally new website experience, which we will be announcing soon, and we we hope you'll enjoy. In, right. In the in the meantime, what, what what do we have for this morning? Well, we we have a huge backlog of programs, but we're going to work our way through them. First up is Andrew Freeman, who is um, I mean we love Andrew, and he has this uh, on trend list of what to look for in 2019. Um, he's always right there on the mark, and. Let's listen to Andrew. Andrew Freeman, you are, do you realize you're like the love of my life? <laughs> oh, he is. I didn't, I, I didn't realize that. Well, I mean, aside from, aside from Peter, I get such a bang out of you. He was just telling me how many times he comes to Pittsburgh. Now I know, now, 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 now where you're going. I think we better edit home. all this out. <laughs> Andrew, your company, how do you say your company? AF and Co? AF and Co. Yeah, yeah, AF and Co. Which is a very fine uh, consulting and uh, communications company. Um, and it's big, isn't it now, huh? Yeah, it's really, it's a nice, it's still a boutique, but you know, we have, uh, we're based in San Francisco and we have 14 people here. And then, as you know, we have uh, representatives on the East Coast and in the middle of the country. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I'm very lucky to say it's our 13th year. Um, and it still, it still feels like a startup, you know, because we're always excited, looking at exciting, uh, projects and, uh, and, and we're very entrepreneurial. So if an opportunity presents itself, we're, we're there. And, and you have a giant crystal ball. Yes, exactly. (laughs) We hope, which you, which you tune in once a, once a year. And that's, I guess, the (laughs) proximate reason why you're on the program today, because you're, Tell, telling people in the food industry what's going to happen in 2019, you think? Yes. Well, um, and it's, it's food and hotels and design and marketing, but everything related to the world of hospitality. Um, and we do, you know, we spend an extraordinary amount of time uh, planning for it and researching, and uh, you know, getting to the point where when we do the presentation which really is uh, finalized about the day before because we're still looking to make sure that everything we have uh, predicted, you know, definitely has legs. And uh, and then, you know, we launch it, and then, we you know, we sort of see how the year goes and see if we, we hit it right or we, we, we've missed a couple or, uh, or some, like I always say, some, 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 some of the trends are already happening. Yes. We're just making predictions that they're going to become cultural, you know, that the the tipping point will ha- will occur in the coming year, but they're already on, they're already on the scene. Yeah, I mean, a lo- some of them, to be perfectly honest, um, I knew about five years ago from the fancy food show. You can tell a lot about that New York fancy food show. The yeah, summer absolutely. One. Yeah. And so, so some yeah. of those continue, like the uh, the wellness stuff and the. Um, Hummus stuff and yes. yeah, Middle Eastern flavors. Um, the one thing that's never happened was the Philippine food event. I mean that that would become top notch cuisine. That's never happened, has it? I don't know. Has it happened? <laughs> defend defend yourself, Andrew. No, he never claimed it. Oh. Somebody else. Oh, did. he never did. Okay, he did. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I never, he, I never claimed that. Okay. He, <laughs> He was, I li- he was never li- understood it. He was listening at a yeah. different. He was li- listening yeah. at a different keyhole. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, but anyhow, but tell us like the big things that are are going to be life changing that are happening, uh, strengthening um, those. I know the strengthening ones. Know, what are those that are going to be strengthening? You know, I would say that the you know the overall the overarching <laughs> theme of our report this year was you know, do the right thing, um, and you know. We all know that, you know, between the government, 
uh, you know, the way our government is working right now and, you know, the, vol- the volatility around that and, uh, you know, and then, you know, the, uh, the weather changes and it's hot when it's supposed to be cold and it's cold when it's supposed to be hot and, you know, and then the senseless acts of violence that are going on in our country. The world just felt, you know, feels a little unsettled. Would, I, I, I'm sure you would agree with that. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think the hospitality industry and the restaurant industry really has an opportunity to uh, show everybody, you know, what they're made of and, you know, quote, unquote, do the right thing, whether it means uh, really a, a deeper level focus on sustainability, you know, supporting women, um, looking at ways to use their platforms for the greater good. And I always say that it's not a one-way street. You know, there's a reason why you should be doing this because um, if you partner with like-minded charities or you get involved in social causes that have a meaning for your, you know, the, the guests that enjoy your restaurants, it'll deepen the connection with the restaurants that they have. They'll be, um, you know, they'll be very honored to be part of the uh, to coming to you and, and supporting you. So it's really, uh, I think, the biggest trend of the year is uh, what we coined as cause-related cause-related marketing and, you know, really utilizing the platforms through delicious food and great service and uh, and the audiences that these restaurants have to really bring forth, you know, meaning, a, a much more meaningful connection. Well, so, I mean, this is what, it's amazing how many chefs have stood up to make the difference. I mean, how about yeah. Jose Andres getting nominated yeah. for a Pulitzer? I mean, for a Nobel. You know, and he, I have to say, just seeing what he's done in the last few years, like, he truly is my idol, you know, because, um, you know, there's there's a selflessness to that, which I think is brilliant. But also, look at what it's done for him on a global level. Like, everybody uh, is just really admires him. And, you know, I'm, you know though I, I can't prove this, I'm sure they're supporting his restaurants and their um, supporting him because he's supporting the world at large. So that's what I oh, think. Yeah. I think there's I'm, a, you yeah. know what I mean? I've known yeah. him for years, and um, and, and I know that have been in the field for years, and uh, there has been a changed tone uh, having to do with him. It's a, a sort of an awesomeness about him, and they really do view him as a hero. Yes, he's, uh, my, he's uh, my hero. Yeah. He's like one of them. But the thing that what he's doing um, is... Uh, only like it's because he's so visible. But I, what I'm saying is that everybody should be um, stepping up to the plate when it comes to um, getting involved and using our our hotels and our restaurants as platforms for uh, supporting the world at large. So that I would say is the overarching theme of the report this year, and um, and it definitely came through. Um, you know, as it relates to other you know other trends that we saw coming this year, you know, we, as you know, we, we break down to what is 2019, you know, what, you know, what are the, what are we seeing out there? And, you know, I think, you know, probably you read this, but I'll just say that, you know, we, we always look for one cuisine that's going to sort of um, really come onto the scene in the new year. Last year it was um, Filipino. The year before that, it was modern Mexican. Um, You know, we also called, no, actually last year was Israeli. And the year before that was uh, Filipino. And I'm sure you've seen that. We called those right because they're definitely growing in popularity. Now, the, the overall arching impact of doing the right thing and looking at our world at large is that our world has become so much more global um, and embraced, you know, uh, different uh, people and ethnicities. And, uh, and so I think you're seeing just a lot of the globalization of the restaurant world a little bit, um, which leads me to the fact that this year we called Georgian cuisine, and I always say it's not the state of Georgia, it's the country of Georgia. Right. Um, you know, as yeah, they, it was uh, how as long they, ago when we interviewed that, that Alice firing, was it Alice? I think about, so. Was, yeah, I think so. About the wines of Georgia, it must have been three years ago. Probably longer ago than that. Yeah. yeah, you know, and, and, and so when you think about it, right, and I love this because I've done so much research on Georgia now that, you know, they they really are, a, they, you know, they claim to be the, the home of the first ever wine that was made. Exactly. 
Um, and then I was reading um, a magazine this weekend, um, a travel magazine, and they're calling uh, Georgia as one of the top ten places to go visit next year. So, um, so sure enough, you know, we were researching this, and we saw, you know, that this cuisine type, this heartier, you know, delicious, again, more melting pot of the countries that uh, surround Georgia, um, really is coming onto the scene, and so much so that we call Georgian wine as one of the wines to watch. And um, and the, the wonderful popular dish, uh, kachapuri, which is that delicious bread with the cheese and the egg, uh, yes. which you know, we call that the, one of the dishes of the year because we see that coming onto you know onto the scene. So we're really exciting. Andrew, um, really we went to yeah. a Georgian banquet. We had a, um, a a TV person, producer, director, whatever, uh, go studying availability of talent in Georgia for making films, which I thought was pretty crazy. But anyhow, uh, not surprisingly, he didn't find anything, but he found that the Georgians were great party people. So he, uh, yeah. <laughs> he and his wife did one of these um, the Georgian dinners, and we all sat around this table, and any time anybody said, says anything, you have to drink what's up in your glass in front of you and then dangle it upside down over your head to prove it is empty. The the man sitting next to me, um, I mean, I knew him, but he was not my best buddy, ended up sleeping on my shoulder and his wife glared at me from across the table. That's so funny. That's so funny. Uh, he, 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 yeah. he, died, he died early. We think his wife might have had something, to do, might have had something to do with it. It's interesting. I think one of, one of the only things that might hold Georgia back is, is a lack of a tourism infrastructure like you know, who, who flies there, whose hotels do you stay at. And there's a challenge there that they, they haven't addressed yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, obviously I think that it's, it was a, a little bit of a, you know, um, not, I wouldn't say a stretch this year, but, you know, um, we saw, we know, we do our research and we saw, we saw restaurants popping up. Good, you know, good, good. Um, and we, and we just think that they're really going to, uh, you're going to see a, a desire for this. And, you know, again, I, I sort of look back to in tumultuous times, there is that sense of comfort, you know, and that heartiness of food. And I think it comes through a lot with, you know, with Georgian cuisine. Yeah. So, um, so you know, uh, plus it's a great shareable food. Uh, there's, you know, there's certainly a lot of people that like to, uh, sh- you know, sharing is part of our culture now. Yeah. And, um, and so that was it. And then, so that, and then, so then going from there, we then started to look at cities that we yeah, saw. Yeah, how did and, you pick Pittsburgh as the food city uh, of the- you know, well, first of all, I, well, there's a lot of, um, you know, hi, well, first of all, I, um, as you know, uh, through you too, and through learning about Pittsburgh, um, I was pretty impressed with, you know, with what's going on there right now. Plus, there's a lot of industry moving into Pittsburgh. You know, there's uh, technology coming in, there's other companies coming in, there's, you know, you have a c- incredible access to farms, and a lot of people are doing, you know, uh, their own uh, gardening and own farming there right now. There's a, you know, there's, I think, you know, with any, um, you know, the coast, you know, uh, New York, San Francisco, L.A., it's so expensive to open restaurants there right now. Right. So I think a lot of, I think a lot of dream projects um, end up, you know, going to cities that are still more affordable. Um, there's a lot of hometown. I'm going back to my hometown to do something. And, yes, that's happened. Um, and, and there's definitely a little, you know, so there's, there, I wouldn't say it's, it's easier to take some risk when the rent's not as high or when things aren't happening. But there's what I call uh, cities like Pittsburgh give chefs an opportunity to do dream projects, you know. Yeah. And so what I think you're seeing there is a lot of, you know, dream projects. But along those lines, there is a, a progressive sensibility about, the you know, your wonderful chefs doing really exciting new projects. And then, you know, if I, if I look at the cocktail scene, um, you know, there's a, a vibrant uh, cocktail scene in uh, Pittsburgh right now too, and right. you know you're sort of I don't know if you know, but you're, you're sort of you, Pittsburgh has sort of been uh, cited as one of the uh, cities that really took tiki cocktails, you right. know, to a <laughs> to a new level. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, so we just you know we we got you know we toured it, we we looked around, we saw what was happening, um, and we just said this is a really interesting city right now. So that's that's really how we came to it. 
Well, we're glad, we're glad, um, we're glad to hear. We, we like it here, too. It's easy living, you know, compared to New York. Now, now let's, let's leap on to the, towards the end of your uh, cheat sheet here. And what is, what is Bob, Dan Barber up to with seeds? Oh. oh, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, he's, a, uh, he's you know, a fascinating guy. He's a fascinating guy, and I think this is really interesting. You know, a lot of um, farmers and, you know, they have, you know, they have to produce, you know, mass and they have to produce uh, quantity and, you know, where things sort of look alike, uh, you know. And But I think this whole idea of being able to cultivate um, specific seeds and uh, specific ingredients um, are, you know, are very, very interesting. Um you know, there's a company that we cite in our report called um, Row Seven, and um, and that's a company that was launched by Dan Barber, and he has seed breeding partners, and they're working together to you know to create really uh, interesting you know hybrids of uh, vegetables and you know well mostly vegetables, but and new plant varieties that you know that are also helping the soil and and everything but you know the diff- the 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 thing here is that you know I like, granted it wouldn't necessarily work for the masses but if you can um look at you know introducing uncommon items or um or unique flavors via the seeds that you can actually um you know that, that you can actually cultivate you know making these seeds um you know it's very interesting i mean it's definitely uh what i'm saying is there's always going to be a place for uh, yield and shelf life, but there's definitely a sense of uh, people getting really uh, chef given being given another platform to be creative by introducing you know new varieties to the table in unique ways. Right. And Dan Barber is such an interesting guy, and Isn't if anybody was going to do it, it would have been him. Yeah, it, he's on my. I have different lists. He's he's on my philosopher chef list. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Uh, you know, and you know, I, I think what's nice about the report is that. We sort of do salute our heroes in the industry right now, uh-huh. um, and he's, he's he's another hero of ours. Yes, uh, we were pleased to see our fluffy little fluffy head cafe on there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, and that's really uh, I think you know again another really great example of how you know things are happening all over the country that a lot of people don't have that they don't know about. You know what I mean? I've never yeah. had cheese tea. I can't even imagine it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, that, that, yeah. So, I mean, I think that was another thing. Obviously, we definitely saw in the beverage world, we saw tea and lemonade. Uh, oh, that's as funny, two, too. The, as two, you know, two, again, really old school, you know, drinks uh, being... Well, what uh, about donuts? Your, your dessert of the year is donuts. Is that yeah. to do what, uh, what, why we do frame? Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, it's really interesting because, you know, I, I'm a boy from New Jersey, as you know, uh, and I love Dunkin' Donuts. I miss it out here terribly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I grew up going every Tuesday night with my dad for a donut, um, to Dunkin' Donuts. But, you know, th- these are not you know, your mom and pop donuts. These are savory donuts. These are... Yeah, like, uh, why, you've been to, have you had Wiley Dufresne's donuts? Yes. I mean, yeah. yeah, that was a while back. But also, if you look now, there's savory donuts, as you know. there's yeah. uh, We found a restaurant in San Francisco that does an everything churro. So they're basically oh, taking, uh, you know, bagel, bagel spice and doing a churro with it. There's, uh, you know, there's um, Indian-inspired donuts. So... I think again, you know, this whole global influence of uh, you know really was another central theme to the whole report. Yeah, well, every culture seems to have some kind yeah. of a version of a donut, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, if you really think about it, every culture has a version of a dumpling, a version of a donut. You know, what I mean, there's always uh, you know uh, a version of some sort of stuffed pastry. Um, you know, but, but, you know, it's really interesting when we were, cause we were, we were, we were wavering. Uh, I, I, I've fallen in love with something called a slab pie. Oh yes. Um, I've read about slab yeah, pies. You know, and, um, and I think, I think it's, you know, I think you're going to see more and more of that. So we we're, you know, we were really questioning, should that be the dessert of the year? But it wasn't there yet. Donuts are, you know, are definitely trending big. And, um, so that's why we chose that one. Well, I'm glad that your list didn't include things like every list does with them, insects. I just can't get past. Yeah. I can't get to them. I mean, yeah. it's, See, it's, it's interesting. We had, we did have it. We did call out crickets as a ingredient to watch last year, but 
you know, I think that's a novelty. That is a trend. You know what I mean? Um, and some, some trends are trendy and some trends are, you know, what, are what I always say, they're going to tip, there's going to be a tipping point and they're going to be cult, come, become cultural to our world. And we sort of keep our eye on those, you know. Uh, well, well, well the, yeah. at Star Chefs, they had an alternative protein afternoon, not this year, the year before. And uh, yeah. this chef offered me um, some deep-fried grasshoppers. No, crickets. Yeah. They were crickets. And, yeah. and I was ready, actually, to, to do it. And, you know, I have a revulsion about that whole thing. And he said, don't worry. They're baby crickets, so their <laughs> little legs won't get stuck in your teeth. And I, that was it. I couldn't deal with it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um you know, uh, it's interesting because, um, you know, we have this whole, we had a, you know, one of the trends we called is uh, meet the future, you know. Yes, yeah, the meet. Concept yeah. of, yeah. But, but it's two different things. It's basically meat alternatives and seafood alternatives that are plant-based, you know, that are being, you know, uh, the Impossible Burger and uh, there's uh, uh, seafood being, uh, basically it's imitation, you know, it's being imitated to taste the same. But then there's also now the um, meats and fish that are being grown in labs um, from right. you know, animal cells. Yes, exactly. Um, that is, you know, still a little controversial because, you know, their farming happens for a reason. I mean, in, in, in nature, you know, we definitely know that we're, you know, we're harvesting uh, fruits and vegetables and we're, uh, you know, we're raising animals for, you know, c- for consumption. But I think um, it's a very interesting uh, concept that you can now grow meat and you can grow seafood um, in in labs, and so we definitely saw that you know on the rise. Yeah, no. The the one thing um, I was about to say that that you didn't address, but you really did address it, is um, this the, the use the increase in um, robotics, which really addresses the the issue of it's it's across the united states and it's even in europe and it's going to get really bad in the uk is a shortage of people to work in restaurants shortage of restaurant staff oh yeah chefs. so you know if you, right yeah so people because we have a um our our, our client chalbotics which is in our report you know that uh they start they do a you know they're they're doing they're, their concept is that they're delivering fresh food you know 24 7 because via their robotic uh, via the, uh, the food-making robot that they do, called Sally, the food-making robot, they're putting fresh food in places that you wouldn't normally get it. Um, and I think, um, so, you know, airports and um, uh, workplaces, um, you know, that are, um, that are uh, you know, like, you know, like a WeWorks and, but, you know, even corporate cafeterias that, you know, Usually, will close down after a certain point. Um, you know, all, all the hospitals. Um, and what, what's been interesting about that is that you can customize the ingredients in the robot, and um, you know, you can do fresh salads. You can do in the, and there. You can introduce ethnicities, but so because salads are really trendy. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so many unique, interesting profiles and ingredients now. You know, one of the challenges I always say is like push the envelope on your salads because it's always great to have a Caesar chicken salad, but you can introduce these global influences. On so, you know, what I was talking about uh, was the you know obviously salads are always popular, and I think um, the customization of salads, you know, sort of you, know, you think of the sort of gross salad bar. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know. Um, and but restaurants also have the opportunity to really introduce unique, obviously seasonal, regional salads. But also, seriously, look at some of the global influences that I've been talking about via the report. So whether it's a uh, Vietnamese chicken salad versus just the boring Caesar, you know, with chicken or whatever it is, I think um, it's a really great platform to introduce new fresh ingredients. And 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 with robotics and a client like Chalbotics. They can load, you know, different ingredients and different style uh, cuisines into, and you can customize just about everything. So, you know, I think uh, interesting uh, salads uh, are, are really popular. And, you know, that's not a new thing, but I think we're just saying push the envelope. You know, just, you know, push the envelope and use it as a platform.
to introduce people to creative new ingredients. Well, come, well, come back next year and, and tell us how many how many were right and how many were wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, uh, I'd be happy to. Uh, we'll have some fun. Uh, Andrew, it was, it was a pleasure. Well, thank you again for always including me. I really appreciate it. Well, and, we love uh, you, Andrew. You know that. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and here's to Pittsburgh. Pardon? I said here's to Pittsburgh. Oh, here's to Pittsburgh, right. <laughs> yes. Okay. Thanks, Andrew. Ciao. Okay. okay, have a great day. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. 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 Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back. Um, Next up is another old friend of ours, Keith Martin. Martin of Elysian Fields and Purebred Lamb. Um, you may be a little confused. We did record this interview last August at Lambfest Pittsburgh. Um, but anyhow, we finally are bringing it to you, and his, his concepts are still current. Uh, he has some rather interesting ideas about raising lamb. He always has. And let's listen to Keith Martin. Now, Keith Martin, we go back quite a long ways. <laughs> it's been years. Yeah. Twenty-five years or so. Twenty-five. Uh, well, right now we're talking to you at, at Lamb Fest, which has become this is the second year in a row, uh, featuring obviously Lamb, of which you are a sponsor, and it is a hugely successful event. Why do you think? People go so nuts over lamb. Well, I think it's a, a different experience for them from what they would normally, you know, what they would consider normal beef or pork. So lamb is an exceptional protein, and I think people are just now experiencing it more. You have a lot of uh, exposure, more exposure now with the halal market, properly pronounced halil, okay, exposure. So, you know, it's uh, it, it's coming, uh, you know, to the surface a little bit more. People are really enjoying, I think, the, this protein a lot for the first time. So uh, we we have been here at the uh, festival, and I have already uh, talked to a couple people that said they've never had lamb before, but they're having it here for the first time. So that's it. Let's go back a little bit. Um, there's a little bit of a mystery, though not a lot, about how you, who were an investment banker, ended up growing lamb and um, selling, you call it holistic lamb. First of all, how did you get to be raising lamb? Your farm is called Elysian Fields. Your brand, and we'll talk about this later, is Elysian Fields and Purebred. But tell us how you ended up leaving the nasty world of investment bankers and going onto a farm. Well, you're absolutely right. Okay? It kind of was uh, a nasty world, so I experienced. When I first came out of college, uh, educated in finance, I thought for sure I would be in the financial community, but it turned out to be something quite different, especially in the 80s, um, what was eventually nicknamed the go-go 80s. You had a lot of things going on in that community, in that environment, the financial environment that I was not at all settled with. There was limited partnerships, uh, you know, real estate deals, there was you know, the junk bond fiascos, on and on. I could detail several things. But those were really the tools within that organiz- within that financial community that I really disagreed with. I was really a values-oriented guy, what was called a stock jockey. I was one, wanting to build stock portfolios, valued portfolios, really stocks and bonds, a balance. But that was a snooze. Uh, it was all about special products then. It was all, that was led by Merrill Lynch. It was all about, you know, those, what you would even call today perhaps derivatives, okay? But anyway, so I was really disillusioned. Um, I truly looked around at me in my client base to the people that really meant the most to me, um, that I respected the most, and they were all farmers. And, you know, I can, I can name names, you know, because many of these guys are now passed on. But Frank Burns, okay, these guys just absolutely, they just were inspirational for me. And it was a lifestyle that I wanted to, uh, to lead. I know it was a real shift. 
It was going to be a challenge, but it was really, uh, you know, it was that personal introspective thought and, and that vision that came from that that took me into farming. I still remember your early um, advertising, the billboards that said, Mary had a little lamb. I often wondered, what did Mary say, your wife, when you decided to go farming? Well, I can't tell you how supportive she was. If she thought I was nuts, she, for the most part, held it to herself. Probably did. Everybody else did, that's for sure. My brother, I have a twin, my twin brother kind of uh, leading that, you know, the head of that pack, which was of dissension. He thought it was really nuts. But I can't, I I just can't give enough credit to Mary. Um, It it was really keeping Mary against the world at that moment in time. And she had my back 110%. It was whatever, you know, whatever my vision was, however I wanted to pull this together, she was 100, more than 100% behind me. So I love my wife, Mary. Mary had a little lamb. <laughs> she ended up having a lot more than just a few. Now, that, there's lamb being grown all over the country. So, some people swear the best lamb comes from Colorado. Other people say the best lamb comes from Vermont. Other people say the best lamb comes from somewhere else. What, what is it about the lamb you grow? that you think makes it distinctive and special? Well, I really appreciate that question, Peter. Um, It's not any one thing, which is why we speak in holistic terms. It's why we we speak, you know, to that animal's experience as such. It's the sum total of all those details. So it's not just about the feed values or the water qualities or stress levels, okay? It's not, or management experience such as shearing and shearing on time or trimming of hooves and and, and things like that. It's all those things. So the sum total of all that animal's experience. The way I like to put it is every breath that animal takes is eventually represented in its product form. So I think that's how we have to think about it. Now, is, is there a particular breed of types, several breeds that you favor? I know in my native land there are all kinds of different sheep, including black ones, white ones, gray ones. And uh, and they all finish up on the table somewhere. But uh, are there particular breeds that you favor that do particularly well in Western Pennsylvania? I think there are. Uh, we like we like to use the Suffolk and the Dorset. We like to use a, a Dorset U, as we call yos, but properly spelled and pronounced U E W E. But I'll call them yos. So we like we like a, a female yo of the Dorset breed and a Suffolk over her. So the sires are uh, either a Hamp or a Suffolk, which is what we have determined to be a natural cross. Um, they do extremely well. The hybrid vigor that comes out of that is, is extremely powerful. They generate, you know, the, the values of both, um, of both the Dorset and the Suffolk. They'll all come out looking like Daddy, okay? The physical components of these lambs, they'll all come out looking like a framey, powerful meat wagon of a little guy and a little girl. They are super physical. The physical nature and profile of them makes for a tremendous meat lamb. But on the other side, the Dorset generates high milking qualities, um, a lot of volume of milk, especially in the first uh, 30 days. Also, the intangible traits of motherliness. They, They are absolutely tremendous mothers, much more so than a lot of other breeds. So they will just absolutely mother those lambs and just really, really get the care that they need from their mother and not from management exercises, not from a human imposition, but actually from their mother, they'll get a tremendous first 30-day experience. Those Dorsets are tremendous mothers. So that's that's why. You get the intangibles from the Dorset yo. You get the physical characteristics from the Suffolk male, and it ends up being a tremendous, you know, animal for eventual consumption. We should have mentioned at the very beginning that we've been a customer for however many years, 25 years or so, and go, going through more, more than one lamb a year, I might add. But the thing I remember most about, about your lamb was the, the size of the chops. We, we called them horse chops. <laughs> Because, because they they were very robust creatures. Well, you're right, and that's uh, that's on that Suffolk side. It's a large framed animal. They really throw a, 
a very large meat characteristic type carcass, which is what we're what we're looking for. Okay, but it's more than that, and that's what is is the, the purebred messaging component is all about. It's understanding that, as I said a moment ago, every breath that animal takes. So. The genetic side of it is only one component. I'll tell you what my old mentors told me with tongue-in-cheek. They would say, Keith, it's nothing but breeding and feeding, Keith. It's just nothing but breeding and feeding, okay? Well, I'm going to tell you, you know, it obviously is a lot more than that. But when you really get down into the basics, it's, it is having the right breed, okay, to give you the outcome that you're looking for. And then the feeding part, obviously, would be the management program that you're working with. The steward, we have a name for that, and of course our management program is called the Safe Alternative Model, um, which really creates what we like to think is an is an alternative um, environment for that animal to thrive, rather than a feedlot type scenario, or what we you would look at as more um, you know contemporary, more commercial more institutional, more agribusiness-type profiles. Uh, I think we ought to clarify, you have worked really, really hard, starting, like, before there were even any programs. <laughs> you worked, but you've also had some fortuitous encounters, one being Thomas Keller, the renowned chef. And so you have a partnership going now, and a lot of people are curious to know the difference between a legion field lamb and purebred lamb. Yeah, for sure. I have worked really, really hard. That's for sure. But I, I tell people on this too. Sometimes it's, it always, it always pays to you know make a poignant statement. It's not the height of your passion, but the depth of your commitment that will ensure your success. So when I went into this, you know, I knew I had some idea that what it was going to require of me, but. Not really, because when you really walk the walk, then you really come out down the road in a reflective position saying, wow, I didn't know that it was really going to be all that. But it really, no one's too, when you're passionate about something, that's kind of an ebb and flow type thing. And there are times that you're very passionate about what you do, and then there are times that that's not the case at all. And oftentimes, a lot of people will look elsewhere for another avenue uh, of employment or whatever it might be. They'll just change their lives at that point. And that's why I say it's the depth of your commitment, because you have to make it through those times. When it's 2 o'clock in the morning and it's 10 below zero and I'm in the barns because we're having January lambs, believe me, I am not too passionate about being there. But what I am is committed. And I am there. And that's the depth of the commitment that, you know, that it really takes, especially when you're undertaking something you know, like we've done with, you know, developing a whole new model, a whole new perspective of red meat, which is the purebred component. So Thomas and I, when I first approached him, he said to me, well, this is just a natural progression, quote unquote, a natural progression of our relationship that would speak to very important values as it relates to bringing the focus not so much on the product. This is the, the purebred side okay, of things I'm talking about. I'll tie this together for you here in a minute. Purebred brand takes the focus and adds, which is a quality program, Elysian Fields, quality-driven and a quality-defined program only. So we raise beautiful lambs. The lambs respected the processes they were experiencing, they gave us the best representation of themselves that they possibly could do. It was a real partnership, and still is, between Elysian Fields and the animal. But what we've done with Purebred is we've added a layer of value over that. So that layer of value is a quantifiable layer, which is source verification and data. So now, not only... You have the quality-defined product of Elysian Fields. Nothing's changed there. Nothing ever will. But you now have a layer of value over that, which is a source-verified and data-supported product perspective. It's a tracking number. So on the purebred product will be a tracking number. And that tracking number will give you a, a plethora of data relative to that animal's experience with us as we represent it in product form, reverently, 
and respectfully. Now, did I read incorrect? Now, is, is Thomas behind that system as well? You were voted one of the most beautiful people in Pittsburgh, okay? But you really are a geek. I mean, you are a lamb geek. And when I read this about tracking, it's like every single minute of this lamb's life. But I wasn't sure whether that was purebred, and Thomas supported that. It, it's really extreme tracking, isn't it? Well, it is. And that's that was the basis back in 2006. That was the basis and the start, the genesis, I should say, of purebred. That's when we got our heads together and said, this is the, the right thing to do, okay, is to add that layer of value, which is purely quantifiable, is purely data and numbers. Nothing's changed with the lamb. Nothing's changed with the quality of the lamb. It's absolutely everything's the same, except we're adding that layer of value, which is a quantifiable value. And absolutely, you know, this is Thomas and I are partners. Uh, we have been since 2006, and this is the emanation of, of that union. This is what we're all about. This is going to speak, you know, and really as a legacy statement for everyone that's involved because we are refocusing people's perspectives. Instead of, I'll ask you a question. Why would we only pay attention to the seven weeks and it's in its product form and not the seven months that it's alive and with us as well. That's a good question, right? What we're doing with Purebred is focusing on the seven months that it's alive, and we're bringing that information, that relationship potential to the consumer in the form of a tracking number. So soon, very soon, because we're having the software written right now, we, uh, we looked all around to try to find something that would plug in, quote-unquote, but there's nothing out there that will work. This is truly an invention. So we are having a uh, software engineering company write the software for us that's going to allow the, the future purchases of Purebred will have the tracking number on it. And everybody has a smartphone nowadays, except me. I used to use a flip phone. So everybody has a smartphone, so you'll be able to use your smartphone and actually develop a relationship with the animal, the, the, the farm, um, the, the geographic area, all, all sorts of information um, will be available to the purebred customer uh, through the tracking number. That sort of reminds me of the, the nose print that they give you with Wagyu beef. Yeah, I would say, I'd say absolutely correct. Uh, even though you are, it's a different, you know, quantifiable perspective, it's philosophically the same. It's it's bringing the values of that animal, in this in that case beef, through the process, refocusing it away from product and back on the animal, all the way through to a point of consumption. And when it is consumed, then that's really the last integer. That's that's when the epiphany happens, because everything again. What did I say before? Every breath that animal took is eventually represented in its product form. I'll, I'll tell you something else. Don't forget this either. Just because it's dead doesn't make it different. Now, that's rather curt. I get that. Okay? That's rather curt. I understand that. But it's poignant. It makes a point. Okay? There's nothing different about that rack of lamb. Okay? That is in a store shelf somewhere, and that same animal going by in my barn just a few days earlier. No difference. Okay? Just because it's dead doesn't make it different. Every breath that animal, remember, every stimulus, everything that animal experienced is eventually represented in its product. It carries over. So we could really get into further discussions about philosophical discussions about life energy and capturing of life energy things of that nature, very significant. And you're going to be hearing more about this from Elysian Fields and Thomas Keller as we, you know, further uh, educate people with purebred, the purebred concept. We're going to be talking, what do you live off of? I'll give you a little snippet here. What do you live off of? Do you live off of, as you consume a protein, do you live off the muscle, the fat, and the bone? No. You live off the energy that's captured within those substances, Okay. So it gets very philosophical, and that's that's for a that's for another 
you know, that's for a future conversation. Well, I hope that, that you find that these uh, chefs' teams, ten teams of, of local and national chefs, are all working with purebred lamb today to produce the best dishes that they can. And I hope you feel that they've done you, purebred and Elysian fields, proud. Well, absolutely. You know, we, we, I always say, you know, most of these guys out here are, are customers um, of ours already. Um, and some, some aren't, but they're aware of Elysian Fields, the Thomas Keller partnership generating, you know, a purebred brand, generating holism, generating this messaging component that's so important with purebred that we just discussed. Um, and I always challenge them, just as I did John from Fork Restaurant only moments ago, to become to become a partner in that. So what we're going to be asking Fork Restaurant to do would be to actually accept a tracking number presentation to their consumers. So let's let's do a, a mock dinner. There's there's three of us. There's Ann, there's Peter, and there's Keith. Okay. All right, Peter. We go to we go to dinner at Pork. All right. You have the lamb. All right. You have the chicken. I have the beef. When you get served, you're going to get served a little placard. It's going to have a tracking number on it. Okay. Because everybody likes to do what when they're eating their meal. It's unfortunate, but they bring bring out the smartphones, whatever they are. Okay. And they start doing this, right? They start punching and they start doing all that. All right. Well, what what is going to be available to you, and this is going to happen but before the end of the year, because we're doing the software right now. It's a very, very significant investment, but it's very, very important. So you are going to sit down there, and you're going to be invited to visit, okay, the website that will, the purebred website that it will absolutely engage you with all that has gone before. And that will be varying degrees. If you want to see what quality of water that animal drank that provided that product for you to consume at that table, fine. It's there. The feed composition, it's there. When it was weaned, it's there. When it was born, it's there. So all this data would be available if you're a data guy. That's the geeky part, right? Okay. But there's also so much more. All that we're trying to do is to give that consumer... Whether it's retail out of a like a butcher shop, or whether it's a, a patron at a restaurant, the opportunity to say, you know, yes, I want to know where this product came from. I want to know something about, you know, what I'm about to partake of. I'm going to. I want to consume responsibly. I want to be discerning in my consumptions. I want that. The problem is no one's offering that to you, okay, generally speaking, but purebred. Purebred will offer that to you, and it will come in an alphanumerical code that you'll just be invited to visit the website, and the whole world will open up to you as to the consumption. Remember, that rack of lamb that you're having, I'm assuming it was a rack, okay? That lamb dinner, we'll put it, we're having it fork, all right? Okay. I'm putting a little pressure on John here, okay? Because I know he's gonna he's gonna jump in on this. All right, that lamb dinner, okay, will come with that alphanumerical code and an invitation to visit the website, which will then allow you to become part of all that has gone before. Really important stuff. Well, I mean, we could go on for hours, and obviously you have work to do, and we have work to do. Um, I love talking to you. I love your lamb. And anyhow, I, I hope that you enjoy the various expressions of it to our chefs today. And good luck with your coding. Well, thank you very much. You know, the reason that Purebred, Elysian Fields, Thomas, and myself with this campaign are so successful is because of people just like you. Okay. It's all about the relationships that become entrenched. It's all about advocacy, about those who are like-minded and understand and then become committed, okay, you know, to, to that learning and to, and, and to that philosophy, which is definitely going to be a new paradigm 
and red meat protein, and then that becomes more of a food movement. And I really think that, you know, that's where we're going to go, and that's where purebred is going to take us. But it's all because of relationships, and Anne and Peter are right at the top of that list, okay? Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about it. And now let's go eat some lamb. Oh, yes, yum. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Okay, go ahead. As I said, we're a little backed up because our next guest, really, uh, Jacques Dehan, is really talking about uh, Cluzel chocolates, and it was a special promotion for Christmas. But what they are are they're uh, chocolate boxes that talk. There was where they actually have jingles going. There you go. So, so you missed it for Christmas. You can still ba- you can the, still do it for Valentine's Day. You can. All, they're going to do it for all the holidays. And um, I kept a lid on the box because I like to play it every so often. You can also, if you listen to the interview, record your own private message. It's a Genius idea. Let's listen to Jean well, well, and Queen. No. Peter's, Peter's contribution was he ate all the chocolates. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's the story. Jacques Dahan, uh, uh, we've been having so much fun with the the latest um, a novelty from Cuisel. Uh, Let me just play. Hold on. <laughs> you don't, you're not going to try and play it. Hello. <laughs> okay, well, anyhow, it's chocolates, and the one I have is playing, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. There are a number of things. First of all, let's start out by saying the chocolate is delicious. <laughs> and, it, and, and the line, the product line we're talking about is called Ch- Choco Voice. That's, yeah. a, that's a surprise. And that's for the holidays, but it can go on all year round. What it is is when you open the box of uh, chocolate, uh, it plays this jingle so that actually, in effect, you can't steal the chocolate <laughs> without Absolutely. people noticing. That, that did not stop Peter from eating almost all of the two pounds of it. <laughs> And, and not only a jingle, but you can add your personal message. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Know, you if you upload that. the me- your your message, your personal voice or message to say thank you or I love you, something like that, we can get your voice and then add it to the jingle. There we go, we, and we and we can we can send one from President Macron to uh, President Trump. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, although they, they, they were with each other the, the past weekend. So, I mean, <laughs> they were, so, they were, so they were exchanging greetings. But Absolutely. We, I'm not sure that they had our box, but who knows? You never know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, who came uh, up with this brilliant idea? I mean, the, the idea of talking greeting cards isn't new, but applying them to a box of chocolates, now that is, that is pretty new. Yeah, and, and I appreciate that. In fact, we wanted to combine a, a couple of things. Of course, the quality of Michel Cruzel chocolate, that was very important for us. That's why the first layer is only truffles. And then after that, we wanted to create something that would be kind of what we call a montage, which means that a 3D uh, scenery about the holidays that would have a Christmas trees and a Santa and a little girl and, you know, a reindeer. Um, we wanted to have that so people can share because the, the problem when you go to a, a family, you're invited, and you have many people. Okay, you have kids. Sometimes they don't like this very fancy and, and complicated and sophisticated truffles. So a good piece of chocolate would be good. So we came up with the idea on how to create a 2D or 3D dimensional centerpiece combined with the truffle. And then after that, our designer here said, but Jack, you know, we can do even better because I think that it would be so great if we can just have some music playing. <laughs> and we started to, to try uh, several versions. And, and finally, we came up with this one. So I, I will reveal you a scoop uh, because, in fact, we did it, of course, with this jingle for, for this upcoming holiday. But we are already working on a version that will be a, a Valentine's version. So it will be a love song. 
or, or sometimes it might be just some French-speaking word. Oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, yeah, now, uh, do all these gift items come in the, th- we had three hinged together boxes. Is that how they come? Yes, right now they, we have two options. We have one option that is exclusively what we call chocolate bonbon or truffles, which will have like uh, 24 uh, chocolate bonbon. Or the second option that will be w- one layer of chocolate bonbon, eight pieces of truffles. And then after that, the two other levels will be the montage of all these chocolate pieces, which is a lot because, in fact, you have, like, several trees, uh, a reindeer, a little girl, a Santa, so, and, and a snowman. So that's, that's a lot in different flavor, white, milk, and dark chocolate, of course. Right. I'll tell you, I mean, first of all, the, the chocolate didn't last very long, thanks to Peter. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, it, it was so exciting. I, I could hear every time he stuck a piece of candy. <laughs> yes, and that, that was the whole point. In yeah. fact, um, we did a mini commercial with our friends in, in, in the same neighborhood where we are. And, and we did that as a kind of office present that, you know, the manager would, would not like to open right away. But then he's very tempted. But as soon as he opens it and, you know, people hear the jingle, they, they all rush in his office and say, ah, you told us that you wanted to wait and then you don't wait. So we, we posted that on YouTube. So if, if, if the listener go to YouTube and, and type just Choco Voice, we have one uh, version that is about two minutes and that this kind of very funny commercial made with our friends here in the neighborhood and not at all real actors. So that's even funnier. Oh, funny. Now, now, now go, Jacques, go, go through the process of, of ordering and then getting your, getting your greeting. V- very simple. You can order online. Our, our website is www.cluizel, so C-L-U-I-Z-E-L dot U-S. So nut.com, .us, C-L-U-I-Z-E-L, .us. Then you will see the Choco Voice. And then you can upload. You have a way to upload. You have a, a button that you can upload your own personal message. And then you will send all the information. We will record, I mean, get your recording, upload it into the box, and send that either to you if you want it or to your loved ones. I'm dying to try this, by the way. <laughs> um, now, do you remember that we last talked about 2009? Yes. Right. And you were just about to open your New York store, right? I'm sorry? Were you just about to open your New York store? Yes, absolutely, yes. So we opened, we, we have now two stores in New York. We have one in Manhattan on Madison Avenue at the corner of 35th Street, which is roughly a block from the Empire State Building. Yes. And then we have the second one that is in Brooklyn on Bedford Avenue and uh, Grand Street. So that's uh, in Williamsburg on the L train mm. exit Bedford. Hot, hot place these days, right? Yes, uh, Brooklyn has changed tremendously. I mean, that you know, just to tell you something I think very funny is that, you know, when we found the, the location at first, I sent to, to Mark Rizal, who is uh, now running the, the, the company for his father and his family, and I sent him, you know, the Google map. Mm-hmm. And when I sent him the Google map, they still had the very old picture of this area. <laughs> and he said, uh, Jacques, are you sure you want to get there? Because it doesn't look like it's something for us. I said, Mark, don't look at the picture. It looks like it was taken like 20 years ago. And now yeah. it's not at all like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember Brooklyn in the 70s. I hate saying that, but it's oh, yeah. it's just totally different. It's just you wouldn't recognize oh. it, of course. Absolutely. I mean, that you know, it's becoming very trendy today. Mostly on the weekend, it's it's very, very good because we have a lot of people that come for brunch, we do brunch. We start to do savory products oh, as well. So they can have they can have something a little more. I would say that you know, just a pastry or a chocolate mm-hmm. uh, on Saturday, Sunday. We do that, uh, but slowly we are changing. We are starting very soon. I think beginning of December, we have a chef that will do as the, as well master classes. Really? And so we'll have uh, we'll have some classes for ten people that will be hands on uh, that we are doing as well. So so we are trying to have something very very much. Uh, 
I would say, Brooklyn type in Brooklyn. Right. It sounds like it, yes. Um, why don't you run this quickly through the, the background, the story behind this chocolate company? Oh, that's, that's fairly simple and old yet. Because, I mean, that this year is our 70th anniversary. Uh, Michel Cruzan, in fact, started the business with his parents in 1948. Uh, when he was 17, he was kind of an apprentice with his mom and dad. And there were only the three of them uh, in a small town in Downville, where they were mostly starting in an attic of their grandparents. And then a few years later, they moved into a small place. And slowly, uh, the, the, the factory, you know, grew up. And, you know, they had to, add, to make additions to that. And today, I think that we have maybe about 250, 300 uh, workers we will call that chocolatier because most of what we do today is still done the old-fashioned way, even though we have very big equipment uh, to run smoothly. But uh, we do that really very artisanal way. A lot of decorations are done by hand. A lot of products are still made by hand completely. Now, Yet, uh, now, when we process from beans to what we call beans to bar, because we are what we call the cacao fevier, uh, then we have very sophisticated equipments because we, have to, we, we need to have the chocolate that is the smoothest possible. Now, is it, is it made in the United States also? So we do make some products as well in the U.S. We have okay. a very small, I would say, atelier here, uh, or kitchen as we call it here, where we make mostly non-dairy products. So we have some unique bars. I, you know, I've been here for 25 years. Oh, and wow. And w- w- what I love in this country is the fact that, you know, people are very... Or I can say that they are they are ready to try something new. While in fact, in what we call the old continents, you know, in Europe and mostly in France, people are very traditional. Uh-huh. So they want you know praline and ganache, and that's good. Mm-hmm. But here, I think that you know my fellow American, as I can say now because I've been an American for over ten years now. Uh, you know, we want something a little bit more whimsical, a little bit different. We want to try something new. Yes. Yet. The Cluzel said, Jacques, okay, no problem. But first, you have to run the, the recipes by us because we want to make sure that it's exactly the same quality, the same standards as what we have in France. And also, you have to focus on one thing primarily, which is the taste. It has to taste good and good chocolate, which means that, you know, what you will put inside should not be overpowering the chocolate. No, and you, you avoid um, any synthetic ingredients too. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yeah. definitely. It has to be 100% natural because that's the way they want in France as well. So they are very strict because, of course, that's the brand and that's the image of the whole company and the whole family and they really focus on that. But they, what they understood as well is that, you know, America is not France and they gave us some leeway. And, and when we ran the, this idea of this new box to the Cluzel family, at first they said, well, okay, that's ridiculous. That's, <laughs> that's, true. That's, that's not chocolate. And I said, but, but you have to understand the concept. And then when finally we sent them, you know, the, the mini commercial that we did on YouTube, and they said, oh, that's funny. That's, you know, why not? They, they don't think that it might work in France, which I have doubt of that, but that's another story. Oh, you mean but, it's, you can't get this in France. But I think that, you know, France. here it's definitely something that people want. So you can't get this in France. Right now you can't, no. Huh. I was going to, I was going to uh, contact our friend who's in Paris, his apartment in Paris, and uh, tell him to look for it. But well, tell you, no, 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 no. This is uh, an exclusive for the United States. Oh, okay. Well, Michael, Michael and Bridget can, they can buy some and, Voice them and take them over there. They will. They, yeah, they will have to take it from the the, the embassy or the, on the consulate in the, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> if not, they they can't get it at Cluzel France for sure. Okay. Well, I have a question. If I wanted to to uh, send Michael and Bridget a happy birthday, a box of chocolates, um, and and I wanted to, if I did the what I want, um. Would you translate it to French for me? Of course, definitely. Okay. Is it the definitely, no, no, no problem. I, I mean, no, right, I'm now we don't, we, right now we don't ship in France. As a matter of fact, my brother, who's in charge of a company, every year gives you know gifts to his customers. And so when he saw the commercial, he said, "Jacques, but I want to to order a hundred of that." And I said, "No, 
No, right now it's only for the U.S. Maybe next year we'll see, but for this year uh, it's limited just to this country. That's funny. Oh, well. What's your best-selling flavors, like at the bottom one? In, in terms of the truffles? Yes. In terms of the truffles, I would say that t- today, we, I mean, okay, because we have a lot of people that, are, that have allergies, so the praline is sometimes some, something that, you know, people don't want into an assortment. Uh, and, for example, um, uh, last weekend, we had uh, one of our friends that wanted to do that at the, the, uh, the French school in Princeton, and we gave her a jar of the praline paste, which is absolutely exclu- exquisite that is made in France because it's 78% nuts, mm-hmm. and so it's a good spread. And she said, you know, the, the school didn't let me open it because they are afraid that, you know, some people oh, might be allergic. Oh, you know. yes. So today a lot of people want ganache. And, and the ganache is really good because, yes. uh, again, it's cream and chocolate. And, and the beauty of it is that you can have so many different flavors, whether they are fruits, whether they are a little bit uh, liquor, uh, whether it could be um, caramel, coffee. So, so you have a, a lot of possibilities with the ganache as well. Well, here's, here's the deal, Jacques. You appear on the program every eight years. <laughs> so, so, with so, the new stuff. So, so in, in, in 2026, you must, you must, you must, you must go, come back and let us know what you've invented between now and then. Look, definitely, if I'm not, if I'm not retired, I'll be more than happy to tell you that. <laughs> it, was, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, and yeah, and it was ple- great. And a pleasure to eat your product. And Likewise. Yeah, thank you, really thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye, Jacques. Bye-bye. Au revoir. Au revoir. Well, that's a wrap for our first program of 2019. Yeah, the, the technician was a little rusty today. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why. If there's any, if there's any f- funny squeaking noises in the background, that's because Peter hasn't touched the keyboard for a, for a little while. But we'll, we'll be back on it shortly. We'll see you again. Same time, same place next week. And until then, bye-bye.